Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. A somewhat infrequent podcast about Alaska. Well, yeah, it's it started as like a let's make a podcast uh, kind of show, and then it it has grown and changed into I think our our realization that this is like a hobby podcast that it's just us kind of talking about politics and policy. And for the last several months, we've covered the Alaska legislative session. And I think that now that the legislative session is kind of um, winding down and turning into this uh, sort of frayed series of special sessions, um, we'll be doing a little bit different coverage and maybe getting back to what we were doing some of our early episodes, which was like a deeper dive into specific issues. Yeah. So if you, I mean, if you guys have any feedback for how the that all worked out, we would love to hear it. Uh, I think we were talking offline, but uh, ahead of time, but you know, we were saying that, uh, you know, the, the podcast kind of petered out as the news sort of petered out um, in, in session. So uh, it's been it's been interesting. But, I, yeah, I think we're really interested in kind of continuing doing this and, and hearing from you about how it's going. Yeah. So I've, I've enjoyed um, for me, it was really helpful to, to check in with you periodically throughout the session and to kind of talk about what was going on and, you know, what strategies were at play and what different um, you know, what people wanted, really, and, and what we're what we we're going to end up with. Um, and so now here we are, uh, the, the legislative session is officially over, and we're into the first special session, which is nearly over, just a few days away. Um, you know, today's the uh, 11th of, of June that we're recording this. And uh, I guess my question for you, Matt, is um, what do you, what, how do you see this special session wrapping up in the next few days? I know there's been a, a few head turns lately. Uh, maybe you could summar- summarize what's been accomplished. Yeah, we've been talking about this a lot, and I think... You know, there was a feeling for a little while that, you know, a shutdown of the government because they couldn't pass a budget because they couldn't figure out a PFD was like a near certainty. And so over this last weekend, um, which I think we've we've been kind of talking about doing a podcast for like a week, but sort of news sort of seemed to be on the horizon like every single day. So we're kind of at a, a break right now. So what happened is the legislator decided to separate the budget from the PFD or separate the PFD from the budget, and they have passed the operating budget over to the governor. And so kind of we're waiting now to see what happens there, but they're kind of uh, pledging to form a working group that will look into the future of the PFD that has no timeline or any binding <laughs> recommendations. So... Um, it's a, we're at an interesting sort of spot right now. I think we're just trying to get through the, it seems like everybody's trying to get through the day at this point. Yeah. One interesting thing about the permanent fund is how, um, it's forged all kinds of new coalitions. You see Republicans and Democrats aligned that would never align on any other issue. Um, and for totally different reasons. And so, um, maybe, maybe you can give me a little explanation of why some of the, or what some of those factions are. The, the prevailing side, I guess, is the side of, uh, we need to have a smaller PFD because paying out a big $3,000 PFD costs $1.9 billion, and we just can't really afford it. So that's sort of the prevailing side. Um, that includes people who you know, just don't like to see overspending. Those are, those are people who um, don't want to do any taxes. Those are people who are concerned about sort of the future of the state. And on the other side, um, is a whole kind of wild coalition, too, of people who, you know, believe in the value of the PFD, people who, um, you know, see it as a political 
opportunity, right? You know, I think uh, paying out $3,000 is generally seen as pretty popular. And so, you know, there are kind of people who maybe are doing it for political purposes or people who, you know, like I said, believe in the purpose of it. There are people who, you know, just believe in following the law, I guess, on on that one. So there's this group of people that want a $3,000, a full statutory PFD. And they're within that group, there are these different factions, you know, there are people that want that amount, and then they want an income tax to to claw back, um, you know, revenue for the state. And then there are people that just believe that that $3,000 should be paid and that state services should be cut to make up for the for the gap. And so there's all right. these different viewpoints, even within the factions of, you know, like wanting a, a larger PFD or wanting a smaller PFD. Um, and and I think it really gets to this question of what is the dividend? There's been a lot of talk about this this last few weeks. I mean, all the sort of divining of what uh, Jay Hammond uh, believed with the PFD has been, you know, his ghost has been brought up multiple times this week. I guess. Right. But what do we think it is today? Right. And so I think that that's yeah. I think that's the conversation we're getting to is, you know, what is the PFD in Alaska today? And regardless of what Jay Hammond thought or what anyone thought when the PFD um was was started, we really do need to make a decision as a state what it is today. And, you know, you hear people talk about the state as a, you know, like as a corporation paying dividends, which, you know, it's it's an interesting analogy, but the state is not a corporation paying dividends. The state is a state. And so it's easy to go down like these rabbit trails of like um, different metaphors or analogies that like line up to, you know, your, your home finances. Um, it's, it's not the same as being of this as this, the responsibilities and um, importance and in, inevitability of a state government. And so... Um, I, my question for you is what do you want to see, Matt, as a, what do you think the PF, what do you think the PFD is, I guess, is the, is the foundational question? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I, I think it's, it's really difficult for me. You know, I think about me myself, like it doesn't really, honestly, the dividend doesn't mean a whole lot to me in in my sort of life. You know, I, I think, you know, I put it towards, uh, put it towards either travel or, or maybe some credit card payments or whatever. So I, I mean, I don't really rely on it if I'm being honest. So, sure, but what about your your fellow Alaskans? And so that's that's the thing, right? So I, I I'm really interested in it in that kind of context where you know I think there are people that really do rely on it, and I think there are kind of I think though on the, the same sort of flip side though I it really bums me out to hear that people really rely on it. I think that. You know, the, the dividend has historically been really up and down, right? I mean, it's not been this sort of dependable payment that people get every year. So, you know, these comparisons of calling it, um, you know, universal basic income or universal basic income light is really wrong because it's not dependable. It's not um, not certain and it's never really been enough to actually cover like living expenses. So, you know, when I hear people saying that, you know, they really need it to get through the year, I think like, oh, you know, maybe we've. Maybe we've really messed up here. You know, I think if, if you need kind of this sort of throw of the dice to get through the year, then like maybe we should be doing something else. I don't know. I think that's that's kind of where I've been. That's sort of the common thought that I've been coming back to is that like maybe we shouldn't have a state where people need to rely on this sort of kind of random annual payment. Sure. But what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to take that money away and then like magically help them someone somehow else? Like, because there's, I don't (laughs) see that magic help coming. I just see you taking it away. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think, I think, um, if you're going to be balancing, you know, 
paying out this big PFD versus, you know, maintaining the state economy via, you know, and that and then maybe that's kind of, uh, uh, you know, putting a lot of steps together, which is, you know, I think that, you know, having schools properly funded and having sort of infrastructure funded are like good for the economy. Sure. And those sort of things are the sort of things that like help people out. I think that it's it becomes really difficult. I mean, it's a def- difficult choice. Right. And I think I think I think like a lot of people have said, I, I think there's kind of I think it's sort of a false choice that we're sort of making, which is between government services and a PFD. Like there are other ways of doing it, which is, you know, income tax or something else that kind of comes in there. What, what, is it, what is it to you? Yeah. Well, I've been trying to read um, a bunch of different perspectives on it and in, in, in forming my mm-hmm. own. And um, I finally kind of ferreted out one of the things that um, that kind of the conservative like Dick Randolph, Mike Dunleavy crowd um, is leaning on um, in terms of like their own intellectual arguments. And what it's, it seems is that they um, they believe that the um, because we are not allowed to own our subsurface mineral rights in Alaska, that the dividend is basically a payment in lieu of of that. And so, because we aren't, because we own those resources collectively, we're due those dividends as as basically a buyout for those for foregoing our resource uh, revenue that we you know we could all be Jed Clampett. Um, and you know Beverly Hillbillies or whatever. If we you know we shoot into the ground and we get our oil bubbles up and we become millionaires and we've we've missed that opportunity as Alaskans and so this is kind of the way that we justify um, paying out this money and this is why uh, some conservatives do not believe that the PFD is um, you know is a communal socialist program um, even though it kind of appears that way on on the surface. Um, so I don't. I don't, it's an interesting way to look at the thing that I haven't really thought of before is, is like, okay, so we live here and we collectively own these resources and we're paid a dividend on those resources. Um, but the dividend isn't actually paid on the resources. It's paid on our, our earnings from that resource revenue. Um, I guess one thing at the end of the day that I'd like to see, regardless of, of what number they pull out of the air, is I'd like to see <clears throat> the, um, I'd like to see the revenue from resources separated out from the revenue from investments. I'd like to get, um, it doesn't necessarily need to be two checks, but I'd love to see um, a check that comes with an itemized, uh, okay, here's your $1,000 from investment revenue, and here's your $300 from uh, resource revenue. And I think that would help us to understand what we're getting from our resources and also how important that, um, that fund is in spinning off wealth for us. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the one of the reasons we we say that we want the permanent fund or we say that we want income taxes is to connect people with the way the government works. And I think that by just writing a check, um, we're not really creating that connection because it's not tied to anything uh, really tangible. Like if if we if we produce a bunch of oil this year, the dividend really isn't going to change much. So one of the one of the points that the side that would say you know we need to change something you know the dividend isn't sustainable that that side would say that you know we the the dividend formula was written back when the permanent fund was like a billion dollars you know they didn't wasn't really written in in mind with a sixty five billion dollar fund you know that could potentially grow to a hundred billion dollars well, and so I, but if you look at the the real yeah. real dollar payout that we're receiving it's actually not that much larger than it has been historically 
Well, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. So I don't. Well, I mean, government has never government has not really paid attention to inflation in in a long time. Or Alaska government really hasn't paid attention to well, inflation. Well, they should. In a while, uh, so. Elmer Rasmussen, yeah. I think it was, who said it's the thief that comes in the night, and that's an important little bit of Alaskan mm-hmm. Alaska Alaska quote that we need to hang on to. But so you know, if you continue it though, like, so what is the you know? Do you do you have to probably pay for government still? I I think right. And so you know, you look at a tax that covers it. Um, I think it's that that I think is the sort of the interesting sort of other side of the equation. You know, do you look at a, a flat tax or a, a graduate, you know, a, a progressive income tax? You know, I, um, I again, I think that that's yeah. something that can evolve. But I, I think just sort of what other states have in terms of an income tax, we can use a model similar to that or or very similar mm-hmm. to what we had implemented before. We could put our same income tax we had back on the books and come up with a number that works. Um but I, I think that an income tax makes sense. A, a sales tax doesn't help municipalities because it creates more downward pressure on those municipalities that already have a sales tax. It kind of takes a tool out of their toolbox. And we're already, you know, from the state level, we're already really pressuring municipalities. And we need to be conscious of that. It's, it's, they aren't two separate independent entities. They're intertwined. And when we hurt our communities, we're just creating more problems for the state. So... Um, so yeah, I don't like a sales tax. I, I really like an income tax. I, it's, um, you know, I think that that's what we need, but I, it's not realistic that we're going to get that this session or this year. And so it comes back to the question of like, what should we have for dividend? And like, in some ways I don't really care what the number is, but, um, I'm, I'm most excited that they're talking about moving $10 billion into the untouchable portion of the permanent fund. Um, you know, we're, we're, yeah, that's a really big deal. I think that's a that's a really smart idea. The legislature, you know, has basically proven that it's incapable of making any sort of tough decisions in one year. You know, we we've spent down with the the figures like what fourteen billion dollars of the constitutional budget reserve, kind of really just kicking the can down the road, like not making any hard decisions any any time at any time. Yeah. So, um, I think having putting, I think there's a real risk right now. That the legislature would just simply say, "Okay, we're not. We're going to kind of pass our light on cut budget. You know, they cut 150 million dollars is kind of what the final number is expected to be this year yeah. from the budget, and and we'll pay out a three thousand dollar PFD, and we won't won't pay any or we won't create any new revenues. So I think there's like a really big risk. I think of that happening right now. And I think at least." putting the rest of the money that they could do that with in savings or into the corpus of the permanent fund where it can't be touched without a vote of the people is a super smart idea yeah. because I just think that the legislature really can't can't help itself because I think these discussions are going to be on unpo- these sort of decisions and discussions are going to be unpopular really no matter what yeah it force it forces them to do the hard work that they've been putting off yeah hopefully it well it, it does it creates a it creates a much more immediate deadline they can't just like spend that they can't just fritter that money away yeah. and postpone and postpone and postpone and wait for someone else to deal with it then you know they're drawing a line in the sand and, and they're in a way they are setting a timeline for themselves um, they're saying like okay we need to figure this out before we run out of money in the earnings reserve and we're going to run out a lot sooner because we're going to take 10 billion dollars out of there and and hide it from ourselves and it's a good thing it's like it's right. the kind of trick you have to make as an individual like i have to do that kind of stuff with myself i have to have you know some money socked away that's very difficult for me to get to so i don't just spend through it and be on frivolous stuff and and i and right. that's 
you know, that was one of the initial ideas behind the permanent fund is let's make it difficult to get at this savings and um, let's set up this uh, this idea of uh, individual greed versus uh, mutual greed, right? So um, we, we have this kind of communal greed of we all get our check and then we have this uh, we have this individual greed of like, I want to fund my project that maybe isn't necessary. Um, and and mm-hmm. so by pitting those two things against each other, we there's a lot more accountability. So I guess this like kind of all brings us to like the whole like what's next, right? And so we have the legislature is going to be adjourning with a, like a, a eight member working group. Um, the members are kind of interesting, actually. So you have in the Senate, it's Senator Click Bishop from Fairbanks, kind of this late labor friendly moderate. Um, you have Bert Stedman. Everybody knows him. Uh, Senator Shelley Hughes and Donnie Olson, um, who, you know, are kind of different ends of the political spectrum. Kind of what we talked about, actually, different ends of the political spectrum, but they both support the PFD. Um, and over in the House, you have um representative jennifer johnston representative jonathan chris tompkins representative adam wool and representative kelly merrick and they're actually actually it's a pretty interesting group they are not really particularly yeah. super high profile legislators there yeah it sounds like a real real scavenger hunt of a working group there like they those aren't those aren't a lot of names who have been involved in the discussion this this far yeah it's probably <laughs> just people who drew the short end of the stick to be honest um but yeah, I mean, so it's weird because they don't have any timeline. They don't have any um, clear mandate for when they have to deliver anything. Uh, what they will deliver is just recommendations. Um, but I think it, it's kind of, it, it it'll be interesting to see just how productive this is. But I think it could potentially fit in really well with this call to sort of put whatever yeah. they do to the PFD to a vote of the people, which I think a lot of people have kind of written off as like never going to happen. But I think here you could at least carefully craft it. Because I think the idea that people have had is that, you know, if we're going to put some, something into a vote of the people, it's going to either be, do you want a $3,000 PFD or not? And I think that's kind of... That's a funny vote to take. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think if they come up with something that says more, you know, he says, we're going to do the $3,000 PFD, but we need to, we really need to look at a tax. So you, maybe you, you, the two are tied together. Or maybe you say, um, you know, or if you don't want a tax then you got to lose part of your PFD or something. I don't know. I think that, I think there's, I think I'm hopeful that they come up with something kind of creative because it feels like the whole conversation right now is just a full PFD or not a full PFD. And I think that is really reductive. And I think, uh, I think that could be an interesting way to engage the the people, but I think putting just the PFD straight up as a vote is kind of like a fraught, you know, you know what that vote's going to look like, I think. And so, yeah, it's I mean, it's um, like the Mackey plan. You, you, know, like you don't want to put the Mackey plan up for a vote because it it's because everyone will vote to get their money. And it like the, you know, the Mackey plan was this like PFD cash out, basically, where everyone that's eligible for a PFD that year gets like, you know, 25 grand or whatever. And then you never get a PFD again. Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, sure, I'll take my 25 grand. And who cares about all the other people that missed out on it? Um, but, but yeah, right. I think you're right. When you said it was reductive, it, it, we shouldn't be asking ourselves, do you want $3,000 or do you want $1,600? We should be asking much more nuanced policy questions and providing people with the information to make a good decision of like, okay, this is what comes along with those numbers. Um, and this is, this is a, a plan. Yeah. And I think it's been really difficult too, because I think a lot of people still, I think wrongly, honestly, believe that you can still cut the budget to a point where you could still have 
you know, a PFD and no taxes and a government. I think that that's like not, and that's sort of the problem I think that's sort of wrapped up in all of this is that there's kind of this continual belief, I think, among some people and sort of, you know, fed by, by politicians is that you could, you could have it all without any sort of yeah. pain. And I think that is really disingenuous. And you you and can I, cut the budget. Uh, you can. There's always going to be something that you can do to make it more efficient. And we should always be keeping an eye open for those efficiencies. But at the same time, like, like every organization is going to run with inefficiencies, whether it's a private business of, of any scale or a government. And, and even my own small business, I have, like, I'm inefficient. I, and I can't be 100% efficient and no government is going to be. So Yes, let's try and make the let's try and tighten our belts and and operate efficiently. But that's an ongoing process and not a not like a, a meat cleaver. Right. And I think that's. I mean, I think the idea where they can just cut and cut and cut and is just kind of. I don't know. It's just ingenuous. And I think in the long term too. I mean, you know, if there's growth, there's economic growth. You know, I think there are times when government growth is a good thing. I think we kind of get stuck in this sort of idea that government growth of any kind is 100% and will always be bad. And I think, I think there's a lot of attitudes in Alaska that are kind of, I don't know, I think, I think kind of look past or don't really recognize some of those things. And I think, you know, there are places where the government can be useful. I think I've been, I've been really enjoying, I've been in Anchorage and really enjoy the parks. You know, I love, I love, love the parks. I think it's like one of the most valuable services that uh, local government can really provide uh, is, is, you know, quality, accessible, uh, sure, and, and 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 clean and friendly parks for yeah. everybody. I think that's a great thing, and I think those are sort of things that you know it's you can't do uh, individually. And I think those are sort of things that people need to to understand that you get and are a benefit of of, of having a government. So. Yeah, I mean, like you talk about the parks, it makes me think of the like, state forest service cabins that are so amazing and all over Alaska. There's just these incredible remote areas that we have access to as members of the public that we just wouldn't be able to, you know, we, we weren't going to be able to afford to build a cabin out in the middle of nowhere in these beautiful locations that are in our state parks. And it's so nice to have that access and you know, things like that are, um, you know, they're not, we, we are always talking about like what it's going to do to the economy or whatever. And I don't even think we know what that means. What like (laughs) as individuals, most of us don't, uh, have a very tangible connection to the economy, but I think there's a lot of public good that that the government does, uh, in terms of just our quality of life and, um, and, and our ability to live fulfilling lives. So speaking about What's next? I think the big what's next that we want to talk about is sort of the strategy of this sort of end of session. So, you know, the other end of this whole equation is going to be the governor, uh, Governor Michael J. Dunleavy. Uh, You know, his whole kind of central campaign promise, right, was a was exactly what we're kind of talking against, which is, you know, that you can have your three thousand dollar PFD and no other problems. You know, it's all it's all, you know, sort of a pain free sort of thing in his in his world. And and so, so now you know the budgets budgets off to him. He doesn't have a dividend right now. Uh, he kind of only really has a vague promise to eventually work on a dividend from the legislature. And so we're kind of in a waiting game right now. Yeah, and I think whether it's intentional or not, this is a great strategy. Like I don't know if the legislature stumbled into this or if or if this was really planned out from the beginning. But the idea of delivering a budget to the governor and saying, "Listen, we'll give you your three thousand dollar PFD," but you'd better not hash up this budget. Um, it, it's a great, it's a great way to go because 
um, if they'd passed the PFD and the budget at the same time, and he'd have everything he wanted, and he could just do do whatever he wanted to the budget. But by withholding the the PFD decision for a bit, they can kind of see where he comes down on the budget, and then make a decision. Yeah, I mean, even though that's kind of the decision that spends the most money, uh, I think that I think there is I think there's and I think that's the, sort of the problem where we're at right now is that I think there's kind of the general belief is that you know kind of delivering the kind of cuts you would need to pass a three or to pay a three thousand dollar dividend and balance the budget all in one year um would wreak tremendous damage to the sort of services that the government relies government provides and the sort of like services that the private sector relies upon and the communities and all that sort of stuff and so I think they're that yeah. I think people are really worried about doing a lot of damage to Alaska right now, and I think that's kind of where some of those. I think that's kind of what 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 backs that sort of thinking. I think people, there are people out there that are willing to um, pay out that dividend, even if it does bad for the future of the state's finances, as long as it kind of avoids the really bad shock right. now. And I think yeah. So that's kind of you know where we get back to these conversations about the future here is is you know we're kind of. You know, unfortunately, kicking the really, really are kind of kicking the can another year right here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's just it's kind of unavoidable. But in, in, at the same time, we've got kind of these we've got these two paths we can go down. We can go down the path where we overspend our savings a little bit and well, quite a bit. Um, and we get a, you know, all this money on the table and the state kind of functions as it has with some m- moderate reductions. Or we can just blow everything up and we can be like in veto hell all summer and we can shut the government down and we can have a a smaller PFD. And like, I mean, there's just really the worst case scenario here is chaos. And and I don't know that anyone really wants that or finds that attractive. Um, And it's kind of up to the governor. So I think, you know, you see in press releases that the you know, the, the House says they've passed a uh, shutdown averting budget. And um, and I think that they're really they've put it at the foot of the governor. And if he wants to shut the government down and sow chaos, he can and will. And if he's willing to kind of negotiate and get through this year and try try again next year, then we're all going to be better off for it. But I think that if there is a shutdown, which is I, I think there's a good chance of it. And I think it's fair to say that it's on Dunleavy's head. You know, it's I think it's his choice at this point. Right. So I think, you know, honestly, I, I was surprised that they didn't get the PFD now. I thought I thought that the Senate was going to be able to pass a $3,000 PFD and the House would kind of, I don't know, just roll over on it, just kind of say, fine, we'll, we'll pass it now. And so, yeah, I think it's sort of it's sort of surprising to me that they're that they they ended up working it all out. In, in I, this yeah, way. it's it's not they don't really have a rush. I mean, the PFD doesn't get paid out till October. Right. I mean, so who cares if they. Right. If, and they've said that they can wait till September to pass a PFD bill. Yeah. So they can just sit on that. And I think it's a great idea as, as a kind of almost a insurance against vetoes. Right. So I don't. I mean, so I, what do you think? Do you think Dunleavy's going to toss out a bunch of vetoes in the next couple of weeks? So if you want to read into the tea leaves a little bit, you know, the Department of Health and Social Services um, earlier or late last month kind of announced to to, medic, to providers that take Medicaid um, that they were running out of money for it because the budget hadn't been passed, and they were looking at maybe cutting off, or they were looking at cutting off payments to all providers um, for Medicaid. And um, so they announced today, like 
hey, everybody, don't worry, we have the money for it. And it's kind of a weird statement to make when the budget hasn't actually been signed into law yet. Um, but I guess reading into that statement at least would lead me to believe that they might know something that we don't and they know that money's going to get signed into law. So I don't think, I guess I, I kind of seeing that and sort of looking at it all, I think that the governor will probably not veto the whole budget. I think that, um, you know, that would, I think, I think he back, got backed into a corner pretty hard by the legislature here. I think they kind of called his bluff with it. And I think they kind of know that he really doesn't want to run the risk of having a shutdown put at his feet. So I think he's going to sign the budget. I think he'll do line item vetoes. And I think, you know, if you are the Marine Highway System or the University of Alaska or local communities that uh, rely on school bond debt reimbursement program, um, I would be pretty worried that you're going to get line item vetoed. And I do not think that the legislature has the kind of votes to override that sort of those sort of things. So I think there's some real damage that he could do in there. But um, I don't I don't know about the shutdown. But then again, who knows, really, you know, it, it could, you know, it, it kind of seems that they're sort of getting through every day. There's not on the governor's level. There's not doesn't seem like there's a really big high level um plan i would say that the one thing that kind of pushes back against that notion that it's all going to be okay is that he just held a rally um out in the matsu valley yeah that i feel like was you know like he wants to get pumped up to to do this like he wants he wants to know that the people want him to like yeah go get them you know you know take yeah. take a big bite out of the government and so that's the one thing that does concern me is it it feels like he's trying to get himself psyched up to do something really extreme and so i'd I don't know what we'll see. And I, you know, like we still got, you know, he hired Donna Ardwin, like she's here to do a job. Um, and I think that they're going to, I don't know. I think we're going to see something pretty intense come out of there. And I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not convinced that, that we're not going to just have like the summer of chaos. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I wouldn't, I would I wouldn't characterize what I said as everything's going to be okay. I would say that we, you know, probably if I'm getting, trying to assign probabilities to all this, I would say 50-50 chance that we have a shutdown still. And then the other, you know, the 50-50% chance where we don't have a shutdown, I think we have some pretty serious cuts that we're going to have to deal with. Because I think that, you know, like you said, you know, Arduin has kind of got the uh, a track record of doing these sort of things where, you know, the she'll come in and they'll introduce a really extreme budget Legislature, legislature will come together in a bipartisan fashion to reject it, and then they'll cut it anyways through, through vetoes. And so, you know, it's the playbook really right here. And so, yeah. you know, I I think I, I I think the long term sort of outlook for the state would probably be better if the governor just vetoed it outright. Because I think then that there would be much more desire and probably um, uh, political will. I think to override his veto and then in that case if he does a veto on the whole thing they and they override the veto the whole budget goes into effect as is right um if he line item vetoes it then it becomes each thing becomes a uh, struggle to get to 45 votes on although they can you know, they can bundle those they can consider them collectively so, yeah. so they could vote to overturn all of the line item vetoes as one batch and that would actually like that's a dangerous strategy but it might be the best way to get there right so, so, yeah, we'll, yeah, I guess I mean, we'll see knows? what happens. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to see, you know, I've been watching some of the votes here and there, 
and you are starting to see some kind of working across the aisles here or there you know as far as for as sort of extreme in the rhetoric as the house minority republicans have been i think there are some people there that are still pretty concerned about you know the financial ruin of alaska i think um <laughs> or the you know a shutdown of the government or you know i think i think there are people there that are still concerned about that end of things so yeah yeah. All right. Well, hey, that was this has been a good discussion, but let's let's wrap it up. I want to keep we'll try and keep these episodes pretty tight here until we've got some, yeah. something real, real to chew on um, and not get too far off in the weeds on predicting what's coming down the road because um, we'll be wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah. um, you my wife just was up in Anchorage and you said you saw our show and um, I want to play a uh, piece of music that she wrote um, and uh, performed here at the Alaska Folk Festival in Juneau. Uh, I don't know if you want to say anything about it. I think it's really great to see somebody who, um, I don't know, it's just so creative and it's just so, uh, uh, kind of, I don't know, it just really has a great voice. And so I've always really enjoyed any of Marion's music and seeing her and kind of seeing the creative process come out as she sort of puts together music and songs. I don't know. It makes me want to create more stuff. So, um, okay, cool. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll play this music and, uh, it'll be a good note to go out on. So, uh, goodbye, Alaska. See you later. Test, 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 test. Yeah, thank you so much. These guys are the greatest. Please give it up. I am so freaking proud of the talent on every level that it takes to put on this festival. Texas for the first time in Alaska. We've had a lovely 40-year tax holiday, and that's a generation and a half or so. Let's never, never pay. I'm a shut and so it helped us grow, but right about now it's getting old. Been coasting on that corporate dime, but I'm stepping up. Somebody does, and whoever pays the bills.